Pro Bowl of Erection. <laughs> <laughs> it's vibrantly coloured and no one cares for it. <laughs> So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We'll be looking at a lot of head coaching changes and coordinator changes around the league as well as all the other news, uh, reviewing the two big championship games that just occurred, uh, taking questions from you, the listener, and then looking forward to the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl hype. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Harry. Hey. And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Uh, not much, it's been uh, quiet enough over the last little while. Uh and take some time off. I do have a I do have an interesting story though. Um, in the, one of the girls at work got up one of those little succulent plants, and uh, succulent you plants. know the little plants, the little fellows, are like little cactuses of sort of like an aloe vera would be. A succulent, oh, okay, yeah, like yeah. thicker leaves. Fair enough. And um, she managed to kill it, or nearly kill it. Anyway, I got some water for it today, and told her when to water it. Uh, but the funny thing is, is the plant's name is uh, Semper Vivum, which means like always alive. So the plant's name is Immortal, and she killed it. That's impressive. Yeah. You only hire the best of the best at put, Facebook. Put that on the fucking CV. <laughs> put that on the fucking CV. I successfully killed off an unkillable plant. Next on my list. <laughs> God. <laughs> what about yourself, Fitz? Any crack, Danny Clark? Nah, quite enough. Uh, in the latest round of Cork getting things six months after Dublin, or a year after Dublin, uh, I went to the uh, an arcade bar. Oh, very good. So you've now got your own version of that. Token, yeah. Yeah. So, classic cork. It's like, oh, that Dublin thing's doing pretty well. Six months later. Mm. Of course, six months from now, it'll probably be shut. It'll either be shut or there'll be like 12 other bars that are arcade bars. Yeah. And then they'll close down within two years. Yeah. Did you see the uh, article in the paper this week about uh, cork becoming the capital of hipsters? Like, we all know Galway is the capital of hipsters. It is, yeah. Well, no, Galway is the capital of crusties. Yeah. <laughs> And they, they, they normally kind of flock together, but, you know, there are differences. Uh, hipsters tend to have more disposable income than crusties. Yeah, but I think, like, hipsters would go to Galway to pretend they're crusties. Yeah, uh, that's true. Fashionable crusties, I think they'd see themselves. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's basing out of popular consciousness, you know, back to the crusties. The crusties survive no matter what. Presumably, you know, they bed into the crustacean beds every night and then re-emerge drink their cans at the Sparch. Yeah, so I always like the idea that the crusties at the Sparch playing bongos are all like investment bankers in <laughs> Dublin just putting on the gear to try and de-stress for the weekend. I wouldn't shock me. But uh, yeah, no, nothing wild up here myself. We had a few people around for board games on Saturday and uh, broke out the deep fryer that I got at Christmas uh, as a like a, a test run for a Super Bowl party. So it turns out it makes excellent wings. So happy days. Uh, it also takes so much oil it disgusts me. But... Uh, yeah, we'll ha- we'll have uh, crispy crispy chicken wings for the for the Super Bowl, which would be great. Is, is it not kind of worrying, like that you were cooking something that you could visibly see what the fat disappearing? No, 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 no. It wasn't the fat was disappearing. Is it like to actually fill up a deep fryer? Yeah. It's so much oil. Like, you don't realize, like you go, oh, a bottle of oil, and you know if you're just shallow frying stuff, that bottle of oil will last you ages. Mm. And then you're dumping like three of them into the fryer. Yeah. You're like. Ooh. I think it was like two and a half bottles went into the fryer just to get it up to like the, the, the fullish level for the... Now, we had a load of people over for fried food, but like it was it was worrying. And then uh, cleaning it out the following day is not fun. But uh, we will have crack for the for the, uh, for the the Super Bowl. So as we'll move on to looking at some of the news from around the league. Uh, so we've had a couple of head coaching movements. 
Uh, we'll start with Tennessee. They've hired Texans defensive coordinator Mike Vrabel to be their head coach, and we're expecting the new OC and uh, defensive coordinator to be announced soon enough. Uh, what do we think of this move? Mike Vrabel, obviously, they had some success with that Texans defense, but they also probably have one of the most stacked defensive rosters in the NFL, so I'm not sure what you can take from that. I sort of he did manage to work around uh, injuries to key players like Watt and things like that. Do we think this is a good move for Tennessee, uh, given that one of the things that they really need to do is to start providing some support and development for that young quarterback? Yeah, it's mm, the Texans fan base, which is always, you know, someone else who's always look up the fan base where they came from, they seem very divided on this one. Because uh, very obviously had a lot of, you know, he's very highly thought of when he's a linebacker's coach, but people felt he was responsible for a regression in the defense last year. And yes, part of that was due to injuries, but then the detractors would point to the game against Jaguars at the start of the season where they had pretty much full hand yeah. and didn't look so hot. Um, so it's difficult to say. Like, Vrabel's a weird one because he's had a very, very quick trajectory, um, basically going from linebacker coach to DC to uh, head coach in subsequent years, which is a little unusual. I mean, obviously part of it is obviously the cachet from his playing career mm-hmm. and his experience, but it, it is just an odd hire for a Titans team that's coming off of being... Uh, offensively uninspiring, shall we say, moving to a defensive-minded coach um, when, you know, literally they lost their head coach because he wouldn't get rid of the OC. So I think whoever Vrabel appoints as OC is going to be a very, very interesting thing to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, this is this is not an experienced head coach. So that you need strong support with Dick LeBeau not being around anymore. That's a guy who has a ton of experience and you would have hoped would have been able to help out, but isn't going to be the case. So those are going to be two key hires. Uh, the one, of course, coded to this is Texans fans seem very, very happy that Romeo Cornell will be returning as their DC yeah. um, if they feel he was more successful in Vrabel. So that says something. But maybe Vrabel will be one of these guys who just takes the head, the opposite of Cornell, who takes the head coaching like a fish to water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this is looking riskier by the day, to be honest. Yeah. Like we'll see. I think I think this is one that we'll kind of know a lot more about once we see who they select to be the the supporting coaches in the scenario. Uh, Arizona have hired Panthers defensive coordinator uh, Steve Wilkes to be their head coach. This is from everything that we're hearing something that the players are very happy about, that the people in Arizona are very happy about. He's known to be a very kind of uh, charismatic uh, head coach, good speaker. We saw tweets from Patrick Peterson, the likes of that, saying they were very excited to have him coming in here. Uh, even Josh Norman, I think, tweeted to say, if you want a guy who will make you better, this is the guy who will make you better. There seems to be a lot of positivity around this. Uh, now, obviously, again, this is a big question because it's a defensive-minded coach coming into a spot where they are almost certainly losing their quarterback. They've got an aging offensive roster. They do have some nice young pieces, but what is this defensive coordinator going to have an image for the team? Uh, or an identity for this team that he can then mould it into? Or is this going to be a reliance on an offensive coordinator to decide what their philosophy on that side of the ball is going to be? Yeah, but I think when he was defensive coordinator with Carolina, he had a very distinctive style of defence. Very aggressive, very blitz-happy. And I think for a defence with Arizona, irrespective, like, irrespective of the actual pieces, I think the attitude that they want to have with the players they have, like Patrick Peterson, the Honey Badger, they're players who like playing aggressive, where they like playing having the secondary kind of hang with its man, play man, and like do their job, basically, and allow the front seven to basically get to the quarterback uh, when it matters. So I think from that perspective, like we already had a tweet from Patrick Peterson basically saying he's very excited to see him. So I think the defense should be on board. But I think, yeah, the open question is, is who's going to be running that offense? And will that offense even have... Like we know the offense is going to be missing Carson Palmer. 
It could very well be missing Larry Fitzgerald as well. That's currently up in the air, yeah. as far as we know. So, like, it, like I think until we know who he brings as offensive coordinator, it's very difficult to know. Now, they've already interviewed a few people, including former Seahawks OC Daryl Bevel. And I think the general indication is that Steve Wilkes is looking for someone who isn't perhaps within his kind of radar or circle of friends. He's looking for someone who he can hand the offense to, kind of almost like a, like a Wade Phillips type situation in Rams, except with the uh, the offense to the defense. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who they bring in there. I think it'll be, until we see that, we won't know. But I think you know next year, I think the expectations will be low considering the power in NFC West. So I think he'll be given time to bet in and try some things. But I think on the defense, you can expect that what was already a good defense could perhaps get even better and continue to make trouble uh, for all those NFC West teams. Yeah, no, of course. New York Giants have announced that Pat Shermer is now officially going to be their new head coach, and he's bringing with him uh, James Betcher from uh, Arizona, defensive coordinator, to be their defensive coordinator. This is an interesting one because New York were connected with several different coaches in the in in the offseason so far. Uh, Pat Shermer, while he's done a lot of good things, is someone who previously when things weren't going so well for him got testy with the media didn't get along well with them uh this is a very media heavy scenario uh place for him to be to be moving into as well and james better this is interesting because i'm not 100 percent sure but i believe he's used to coaching a different scheme from what they're currently running in uh, new york and that this might mean that they're going to have to do a bigger overhaul of the defense as well given that this is a new york giants team that needs to sort of shit on offense does bringing in a defensive coordinator to pair with that, where that person's probably going to be looking at a change in scheme, maybe trying to get too much change at once in what is a heavily scrutinised organisation? Yeah, well, I mean, New York's always going to be difficult, but um, I, like, I like the Shermer hire. I think he what he showed in, in Minnesota is that what he could do with a, should we say, limited offence, and I think that's what he's going to be dealing with in New York. It's a, it's a limited offence. Um, so from that perspective, you're like, yeah, let's give this guy... A chance like previously his head coaching experience he had interim gigs with the Eagles and obviously look two years with the Browns like you can't judge somebody on their tenure but you're also look at look at his record with the Browns and compare that to the last two years of the Browns he did pretty fucking yeah well. exactly <laughs> that's what I mean like, yeah but like Mike Patton looks like a good head coach compared yeah. to the last two teams of the years of the Browns so that's not a good crazy thing but like no I think I think Shermer has definitely rehabilitated himself massively over that last year um, like I mean so certainly like coordinators just go there and get their reputation back like North Turner as well mm. um, but no no he's, he's done a really good job and it, like this makes sense in New York you're like look we don't know what we're going to be the offense is in flux here's a guy who was able to get something out of a relatively difficult scenario um, and then build from there Betcher is an interesting one like say there is a scheme concern there's always the worry of our coaches going to come down and try and impose their scheme versus that particularly with the weight New York has in the interior of that defensive line mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the most flexible front seven that way so that's definitely going to be one to watch um, Betcher obviously used to working with a huge amount of talent in Arizona although one might argue that Arizona's defense over the last years has been underperforming relative to what it was yeah. with Todd Bowles considering the relative talent level so that's definitely I think you're definitely right that that's sort of the more uh, there's more potential to blow up there than there is with Shermer who I think is just a very mm-hmm. solid hire at this point yeah, no, it'll be interesting. It'll also be very interesting. We'll be talking about this in the offseason about whether or not Shermer tries to bring one of those three quarterbacks that are no longer under contract with him to, to, to provide some coverage in uh, New York. The only two left to decide are Detroit and Indianapolis. These are, while not finalised, essentially finalised. Uh, Detroit, everyone knows now that Matt Patricia is going to be going there. And Indianapolis, it seems 90% done that McDaniels is going to be there. However, he has been known to uh, decide to opt out of these contracts previously, so we'll see that one isn't as locked in. Uh, I have heard rumours as well that in Detroit, uh, 
Patricia has already informed certain coordinators and coaches that they will not be coming back. Now, this got some bad rap in the press. I think it's actually a good thing to do because obviously the optimum thing would be to keep your job. The next best thing would be to find out now that you should be looking for a job when people are hiring rather than finding out in three weeks' time when more hirings have taken place. But uh, I, I presume we both all kind of expect that this is either a very good or a very bad decision depending on whether you think that they'll be able to take what they did with the Patriots and bring it with them because there's not exactly a track record of success there. Yeah, uh, and I think with Patricia, I think in terms of those coordinators, if that includes the offensive coordinator, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, he would obviously be someone who would probably be snapped up pretty quickly, so that could have a knock-on effect for other teams that are looking for offensive help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like this year's off-season trend is get someone associated with New England. Even Mike Rabel, obviously a former uh, a former New England linebacker, yeah. and Bill O'Brien's staff, who obviously is also from New England tree. So this year, get if you can get a young coach like Sean McVay and they're from the Patriots, even better. So you know, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Yeah, like it'll be it'll be at least two weeks before we uh, well, a week and a half before we actually get anything announced at this. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. How long before coach. the Browns actually just fire Hugh Jackson and hire Steve Belichick? That's young true. coach. <laughs> you also get more New England tree than that, man. Yeah, it's 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 hard to well, yeah. Who knows? Conspiracy theories abound. Uh, we'll move on to the... Bill Belichick would have had, like deliberately taught his son all the wrong things and then <laughs> to the brand yeah. as the ultimate, as the ultimate bomb against mm-hmm. Cleveland. No, of course. Another 20 years for you in hell. Speaking of uh, speaking of Cleveland and coordinators, uh, Cleveland have hired Pittsburgh's off- former offensive coordinator Todd Haley to be their offensive coordinator because they just hate themselves that much. Uh, this is obviously Todd Haley has had some success with the Steelers over the years and was previously an offensive coordinator and head coach for the Chiefs. Uh, he got my mouth. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Connor, tell me how does Todd Haley deal when his team is losing? Oh, well, I assume. Well, definitely, definitely well. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting one. Apparently, there was a big push within the building to try and take play calling away from Hugh Jackson. So that's obviously why they did this. Uh, as I said, Todd Haley is at least he's vocal. We'll give him that much. Uh, vocal enough to, to get his pelvis shattered. How many games before him and Greg Williams have a fist fight on the sideline? Uh Four. Is that including preseason? Because I think it might be. Mm. I think I think it depends. I think like I think Todd Haley the kind of guy who just like look at it, go like, oh shit, we're about to win our fourth game of preseason. Don't do this. It's a bad idea. <laughs> and uh, just tries to pull the game, and then they end up in a fight. But uh, right, do we think this is any way a good idea? No, no. no. The coaching staff's going to be on his ass probably by mid-season because we don't expect him to win any games. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And having someone who's a ticking time bomb, effectively, in that scenario, is not likely to make that any easier than it already would have been. So, Todd Haley, he worked in a good organization, like, well, relatively good organization like Pittsburgh, where they're already pretty good and succeeding, throwing it into a failing franchise, which Cleveland are almost certainly going to be with Hugh Jackson still there. Seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I think it's also important to know that Dorsey wants to do this disciplinarian thing, like authority, and that's the opposite of how things are done in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's um, just this is just a series of combustible personalities being put into a pressure cooker full of failure, and it's it, like between 
between Haley Williams, Dorsey, and Jack, this is going to go maybe, horribly wrong. Maybe this is something similar to what they did taking uh, the Brock Lobster and getting the draft picks just to just eat the contract of like they're just taking all of these terrible coaches and 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 front office staff and stuff and putting them all into a room, making sure they fail so hard in a single season that none of them can ever get jobs again, just to try and cleanse the palate of the NFL of ever having to see them again. And then they're secretly getting paid millions of dollars under the table. Just, just, just to do that. Just get rid of Greg Williams. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the only one. Uh, on the opposite end of this, so Pittsburgh, who lost Todd Haley, uh, promoted quarterbacks coach Randy Fisher for to offensive coordinator. I don't. Uh, he was the QB coach beforehand. I don't know very much about him outside of the fact that if he was coaching Ben Roethlisberger, I don't have a huge amount of faith. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is a fair quarterback he has the ability to make very big throws but those are not by design or by intention those are by the fact that he's a large arm and a really inflated sense of self like I don't think that comes from the coaching I think that comes from Big Ben just being Big Ben I yeah. I don't see what this guy will bring outside of just let Ben be Ben maybe that's what they want maybe it's just like okay if we can stop Roethlisberger whinging for five minutes maybe we can get something done I don't know yeah like, I don't know I've never heard of him yeah, I don't know very much about this guy. Apart from he's got a really, really awkward name to be paired with uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Uh, New York Jets have also fired their offensive coordinator, John Morton. Uh, not really a big surprise, I don't think. Like, they kind of fell off a cliff towards the back end of the season. Yeah, I, I think it's a situation where changes have been expected in the Jets. I think it's a little bit unfair, considering that he got good production out of Josh McCowan. But I think it's one of those situations where... They'll probably bring in a new quarterback. They'll probably be making a lot of changes on the offense, yeah. <laughs> including some yeah. <laughs> legal issues. Um, so I expect they just want to get a new guy in there who can basically be more of a developmental person rather than someone who seems to be better with kind of experienced quarterbacks. They have, they've had enough experienced quarterbacks in the New York Jets. It's probably time to rebuild a new offense. Yeah, I'd say they're probably looking at someone to help inform their choice at quarterback because they're going to be drafting one this year and then also to be a potential uh, replacement for the head coach if they decide that they move on in the year two because I don't think they were expecting to be carrying over the head coach into this year uh, outside of the fact that they managed to get a surprising amount of performance out of a terrible roster. Uh, we'll move on to injuries now. Uh, the only one to really talk about in the games coming up is uh, New England Gronkowski got a concussion in the game and we'll obviously discuss that when we come to the games. He has been... And I find this quite weird. Very positive about his concussion. Um, that basically he feels grand. He expects that he'll be able to play in two weeks' time. Uh, obviously, it wasn't as big an impact on the game as we probably expected it would be. Uh, but it's obviously good news for New England to have this as a likely to play in two weeks. Even though, because it's them, they're going to play it up until the bitter fucking end. Uh, of course. But yeah, you know, you'd always rather have Gronk than not have Gronk. I mm. mean, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Maybe it was a 69th concussion. I don't know. (laughs) Like, he would actually be dead if that was the case. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I don't know. Gronk, like, might have that kind of Simpsons thing where he just, like, his brain is slightly smaller, but he's got all the protection. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The the, the one that allowed Homer to be a boxer. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, it would explain a lot, wouldn't it? Mm. Uh, But, yeah, no. So, like, he he seems... much in good form and seems to be pretty positive that he'll be able to play so uh, that's, that's good news coming out of it anyway uh, crime and punishment what are they doing it's probably failing he's uh, New York Jets Jesus Christ uh, wide receiver Robbie Anderson was arrested on nine separate charges uh, in the week just gone past 
He's an interesting combination of charges involving speeding, traffic offences, resisting arrest, fighting a police officer, threatening to rape a police officer's wife, amongst others. Uh, this is a player who obviously had a pretty decent season. Uh, people had high expectations for him on that roster. Is he going to make it to the season or not? Ah, players have come through worse. Like, yeah, it's not a good look. I mean, like it sounds like he was, you know, uh, speeding and then decided to lead the police on a chase through red lights, weaving through traffic. Blah blah, like, stupid. And then when they called him, like, look, fucking Pac-Man Jones is still in the league. Like, yeah, he'll be true. fine. He'll be fine. It's just uh-huh. very embarrassing that New York finally get a promising-looking player, and then he goes and. Yeah, very yeah. high character, high, high character, high character. That's, high what, character. High character That's what you always look for in the draft. High character. Uh, that and apparently the ability to cook. Um, <laughs> Hey, that turned out to be right. Who fucking knew? Yeah, uh, that's. I, I always find that bizarre. That like we laughed at the time, and like, I think it's, it's a stupid way to make a point. But the point that was underlying it was actually deadly serious. Uh, other news: Seattle defensive back Jeremy Lane, uh, well-known genius, got caught for a DUI and told the arresting officer, "Hey, hey, if anything, I'm more high than I am drunk." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he. He went onto Twitter and basically said, yo, it's like a 0.08 is like, you know, above the limit, right? And I was like 0.02, but also I was high. (laughs) (laughs) Like this, yeah, this this is unfortunate for Seattle. This is someone they were hoping to get rid of during the season. He was supposed to be part of that uh, left tackle trade with with Dwayne Brown, but then failed his medical uh, and... Basically, was stuck on the thing caused some calf cap problems towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just, yeah. If he was going to get cut before for cap reasons, he's almost certainly going to get cut now unless yeah. he basically goes to a bed min. Uh, but yeah, this is just like at least it's not several horrible. layers of stupid. Yeah, at least it's not horrible like Robbie Anderson. Like these are the kind of crimes that I can kind of get behind yeah it, it, it always, look at Jackie Healy Ray over here like you know, it always it, it puts me in the mind of that uh, you know that one the, the, the newspaper headline that pops up from, from every time it's like I forgot that I wasn't supposed to get high and then I did oh yeah that's, that's from the, the Ricky Williams on yeah. the article yeah on the off season crimometer we'll call this uh, you know bad but at least entertaining yeah, yeah, I suppose he was caught for a DUI rather than actually having done any damage to anyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, retired linebacker Brian Erlocker has made it into the news. Uh, here's a here's a high character guy. Yeah, he's getting sued for portraying a woman that he had a child with as being a murderer. Yeah. This is a bizarre. I haven't heard much about this one. Fitz, you heard about this? It's like a reverse yeah. Lyle Collins or what? Like, so the woman in question is suing him for defamation. Mm-hmm. Because he basically, according to her, has conspired with his attorneys and a newspaper reporter to portray her, in her words, as a bad mother, unfit, and a killer. So, like, like I assume there was some like news or stories that ran in the local press around Chicago like a year or so ago. I didn't actually see those, but it seems that you know when you say these things. And it seems like they probably might have been lies. At least the murderer part is probably easy to disprove. Then, you know, even in America, where free speech is everything, you probably still can't be sued for defamation. Um, yeah. Maybe she should have waited for Donald Trump to open up the laws even further to increase her chances of success. But I'm mm-hmm. sure she'll have a decent chance regardless. But Brian Urlacher, yeah. bit of an idiot, hasn't he really is. been a 
hasn't really been an upstanding since the, since he left football. Like, I, I, like what what I had heard in recent times was that he had kind of quietened down a little bit because uh, he realised that people don't like him as much as he did. Like the last time I saw him in anything public was probably. Do you remember when we went on to was it like Saturday football coverage or something, and then just spent the entire time trying to like give free advertisement on air to the guys who did his hair plugs. Uh, I actually, I just, I've got a detail there of it. So, uh, the woman in question's husband, and now it's unclear whether or not he was her husband before our lacquer knocked her up or afterwards, and um, killed himself. Uh, and uh, her lacquer allegedly tried to portray that as she killed him. Oh, okay. And his death has been ruled a su- like legally it's ruled a suicide. It was it was not a legal question that it was a murder. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, and the Chicago Tribune are the co-defendants in this case. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty pretty heavy going. Um, yeah. This is a, this is an interesting oh, one cool. for him to land right. himself in because like he was burning bridges as soon as he got out of the league, and now this is this is just a bad luck for a guy who was like who he's in that discussion for like whether or not he can make it into the yeah, hall. It's not bad luck. Like he brought this on himself. No, no, I said a bad luck. Oh, a bad luck. Yeah, not, not, not this is bad luck. Sense. I said it's a bad luck okay, for someone gotcha. who people were discussing about whether or not he might be able to make it into the hall of fame. Like shit, like this will, if nothing else, slow it down. If not, stop it entirely. Yeah, but if anything, Mike Ditka will vote for him even more now. So. Yeah, it's true. Uh, on the controversy corner so we discussed previously about Cam Newton's potential concussion maybe pretending to be more injured than he was to give himself time not going into the locker room thing during the game in the wildcard round uh, apparently they do not they've discovered they didn't have a concussion the league has been vindicated in allowing them to play and there won't be any sanctions imposed on the Panthers for this it still strikes me as a bit strange because if nothing else it's quite unsportsmanlike for him to be feigning injury to try and buy time on the field and things like that but like I suppose it, it, it is this interesting because the league doctor or lead head doctor uses this as an opportunity to complain about people making comments about concussions and trying to diagnose it over a video when you clearly can't do it that way. Uh, almost in a way to kind of deflect some of the we have people getting serious head injuries. Stop thinking about it, you moron. Uh, like, I, I, I don't know. Even though this turns out to not be a concussion, I think there's bigger issues sitting behind this. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where people care too much about players having long, neurologically sound lives. So when people accuse us that something might have gone awry, then let's have a victory lap when it turns out in this one case, it actually was, uh, we assume, an eye issue. Uh, Perhaps not the best look, considering that there were many, many, many cases this season where this was not the case and the concussion protocol did fail. Russell Wilson, Tom Savage, etc. Yeah, like it's it's this is not a this is not a good excuse no. to soften the policy. No, no, no. CTE is over. They're sold CTE. It's fine. It's all fixed now. It's all better. Well, I did I did see a thing it's of like letting Obama solve racism. That's what it's. Cam Newton didn't get concussion, therefore nobody has yeah. CTE anymore. There was a weird thing that came out on this uh, the last couple of weeks as well about something like uh, the concussion doesn't the concussions don't have anything to do with CTE. That it's the initial head injury that like whether it has a concussion after effect or anything doesn't matter which is interesting because it was being touted as this like oh concussions don't matter and then, and then if you read beyond the first lines concussions don't matter the damage is already done yeah I mean like that's <laughs> trivially true in the sense that you can have CT without getting a concussion but mm-hmm. it doesn't help like, yeah, they have the really same cause and a concussion like, like, is just I, bigger I believe the actual research indicates that pretty much all hits 
subconcussive and concussive have an effect over time yeah. on yeah. the development of uh, sorry in terms of the development of neurological problems mm-hmm. so yeah I think you know concussion just happens to be an easy to diagnose and very uh, you know you know acute symptom of mm-hmm. you know trying to reduce the violence in the game to an acceptable level that people aren't gonna have to kill themselves uh, yeah, yeah. solid <laughs> <laughs> from uh from from one lovely warm toasty subject to another uh the mazungus uh <laughs> we've come out and talked about kirk cousins so it would appear if you want to read between the lines on this that negotiations are not going too well at the moment uh, as they've come out and said that they don't see anything special in Cousins that they don't really get why people are making a big deal out of this uh, this is obviously in relation to the ongoing issue that the Mazungus do not have Cousins under contract there's a lot of discussions about whether or not they'll be able to sign him or whether he'll go elsewhere and if they were to franchise tag him they'd have to pay him 76 million dollars uh, which seems an excessive amount but I suppose if I had to be against my will playing for that team for three years I'd want to be well compensated as well like is there anything to read into this outside of what are Washington are not really getting anywhere at the moment in this discussion yeah well I suppose it's worth noting that McLaren isn't in the Washington organization at this point but obviously he had a large he still probably continues to have a large influence because the issues he had with them were generally not to do with player evaluation they were to do with uh, you know clash of personalities or other off the field issues that's still up in the air let's be honest um so I think, you know, if this is what the belief in the building was, and he's saying this publicly now, I believe that he's probably got some agreement from, from people in, in the organisation as well still. Uh, but quarterbacks are so valuable, anything could happen really at this point. Yeah, no, of course. So, like, obviously we'll get more updates about this and we'll start looking at our QB carousel that's almost certainly going to kick off uh, this off-season. But uh, for now, we'll move on and have a look at the game reviews from last week. So we'll start in the AFC, Jacksonville at New England, 20-24. This is a very exciting game, uh, much more balanced than the other one, let's say. Uh, so we saw Jacksonville got off to a very, very strong start. Uh, they were quite dominant in the first half. New England started to fall behind. Gronkowski got knocked out of the game with a concussion that we mentioned earlier on. And all of a sudden, it looked very much like the wheels were going to be coming off this New England team. But... For some reason, they just started to climb back into it. They scored a little bit before halftime. Jacksonville seemed to be playing very much with that mindset of don't lose rather than go out and win. They had 55 seconds left on the clock and two timeouts uh, just before the sec- uh, the end of the first half. And they decided to take two knees, which was an interesting decision, obviously, to eat clock. But strange things like this. Then in the second half, all of a sudden, defensive scheming changed from New England. They're... Their offense started to click an awful lot more. They weren't allowing the run to happen uh, against them. And Amandola remembered that he is, for some reason, like Super Saiyan in the playoffs and decided to just tear them apart in the fourth quarter. This was a remarkable comeback from a team that we're now used to seeing remarkable comebacks from. But do we think that the deficiencies that were evident in the first half are something that are going to worry them going into the into the Super Bowl matchup? Yeah, probably. I mean, there were issues in the first half, and there were issues we've seen all season from New England, uh, in that taking a while for the offense to heat up uh, happens against tough defenses, but it happens a lot with New England and doesn't really get going until halftime adjustments are made. Uh, The defense struggled until halftime adjustments were made. There was... There's always this sense with New England, like, this is weird. You tell them, like, you're fine like I am, and you watch them for long enough. 
this was not one of those games that ever felt like it was out of control. And it's very rare that you do, but sometimes you do get that where you feel like this this is we're behind but it's comfortable something's going to work out this is this is fine we're playing fine we're just going to get there um i don't know if you can necessarily do that in the super bowl i mean well we can but the, the falcons game is not one we were in control of at any point until, mm-hmm. until it was way too late they fucked up but like this was just a, a difficult one and part of it was new england uh starting slow and part of it was jacksonville's inability to adjust and i don't know if jacksonville were playing not to lose so much as Jacksonville just had no adaptability in the game plan right and when you do that against a team like New England you're going to come in trouble it's like oh you're just gonna, you're run, they're running it like every first and second down right eight men in the box first and second down and they're going to keep running it because they don't trust Blake Bortle or the coaching staff showed they didn't trust Blake Bortles who by the way and I don't say this often had a good game yeah had a Absolutely fine. He had, he had an excellent first half, a pretty good third quarter, and then like... Uh, well, he didn't, yeah, he didn't really have the ball much in the fourth quarter. But again, a lot of it was the play calling is the problem. Like they, well, they were able to keep him comfortable. But the point I'm making is, is that Philadelphia are a better coached team than that with more, let's be honest, like more like offensive talent, I would say. Defensively, not so much. But like when you're looking at Jacksonville, they have a lot of very exciting but like raw players on offense where still you're a bit more polished they've got more experience at running back and wide receiver they've got more mm-hmm. versatility in how they can play the game yeah you you do have to worry as a new england fan when you look at that and they're like oh okay i don't know if we maybe we, maybe we can pull off the same kind of comeback against philly we probably can we might end up in a bigger in a worse position it might be much more difficult so coming out of this yeah i think it's worrying that new england had to get into half time before they could really mm-hmm. start rolling um, so that yeah, that that's the worrying takeaway from the game. On the other hand, like fuck it, beat that defense. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Like it's like just like you can say there. This is an excellent defense. They were making sure they were dominating all across the table until the back half, and they just weren't able to kind of adjust to the changes that the new New England offense brought. When you look at this team, you don't, even though they allowed points to be scored in the second half, you don't put this on the defense as a loss. Because if their offense were able to get crucial first downs, if they were able to move the ball whatsoever. Like there was one drive where I think they had three plays and then I think a net of about 30 yards on a punt. uh, And they only ate something like... 28 or 30 seconds off the clock with that drive in a spot where all you need to do is eat time or make a first down or score full stop and you'd be flying when you look at this Jacksonville team do you think it's a quarterback change they need to be able to get over the hump or do you think this was just a they will be okay with Bortles if they came back with another year's experience yeah I think I've never been a big believer in Blake Bortles. I've probably been one of the most negative on him. And I think that no matter what you've seen here, like Blake Bortles has done some things with Daniel Hackett, but I would tend to argue that's been more good play calling and scheming around the obvious deficiencies in his game rather than him being a genuine franchise quarterback. I think the Jaguars have plenty of cap room. They should go out and pick one of these free agency guys, like get Alex Smith, uh, trade for him if necessary, uh, get uh, Kirk Cousins, get someone like that who's just solid and get the job done and make the defense keep going because we know the defense is really good. Uh, so for me, yeah, if we're going to go from Jacksonville being, you know, going from this step where they were quite close to beating New England with just that defense uh, and with the offense kind of 
scheming around Blake Bortles. I think with a good quarterback, they would be a genuine, obviously, contender. It would have made a difference in this game. I think the one issue I would say for the defense, and this probably comes more down to play calling than to the defense itself, is that you know we've seen with the defenses that New England has come back against over the last few years, that Seattle defense, the Atlanta defense, and now the Jags defense, they are what colloquially I would now call swag defenses in the sense that they are defenses that like playing aggressive. They are defenses that operate not on, you know, we're going to, like, the New England, it's not like the New England situation where it's like, do your job. It's like, no, we have swag. We're going to dominate you. We're so good. We're going to win this game no matter what. We get picks. We get over. We, we, get, we get turnovers. We make the game impossible for everyone, whether it's Tom Brady or whatever. And I think in the second half, you could see that they moved to, well, not quite prevent, but to less aggressive zone-type defences. And that's just not what they played all year. When you have people uh, in the secondary who like playing aggressive, who like getting up in the face of the wide receivers, going to zone takes that away from them, makes them a bit more predictable, and ultimately means that Tom Brady had more time in the pocket to pick them apart. Like Tom Brady in the first half, was under pressure, looked visibly uncomfortable, and they were getting results. In the second half, Tom Brady had way too much time in the pocket, and if you give someone like Tom Brady time in the pocket, he's going to destroy you. So I think Todd Walsh, the defensive coordinator, needs to get a look at himself and ask, like, you know, why did we do this? Why didn't we stick to what we're good at? Because on the offense, you can at least understand that, like, okay, Blake Portland can probably throw a pick or two if we keep trying to go aggressive with them, but on the defense, they're good enough to not have had to make that change, in my opinion. Yeah. See, well, I think part of it is um, that, that, to be fair, the Jags actually did play a fair bit of zone in the first half as well, and they mixed up the coverages quite a lot throughout that game to make it harder for New England to work out what they were going to do, which worked up to a point until it became predictable. But what's worth noting is in the second half when New England were coming back, I think a lot of the zone coverage happened because... Um, now what I predicted was wrong was that they'd be able to mismatch the running backs against linebackers didn't really happen what they started doing was mismatching Danny Amendola um, and Hogan against linebackers and, that, and like constantly were getting cooks uh, on a safety and like that forced them to play zone because they couldn't as athletic as those guys are you can't keep up with somebody who has more short area quickness and I think there was a tactical battle there and I don't know if Jacksonville needed to make the move because obviously it didn't work anyway um, but I think there was a, a uh, 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 this is what I meant about the adjustments, right? New England made an adjustment, and Jacksonville's, I think, attempted to adjust to it, and it didn't work very well. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the the key thing there. But there's even like nothing was going right from the tail end of like even offensive substitutions and stuff were going weird. Of like when you look at those running backs, Leonard Fournette is your banger, and then you've got um, what's his name, the pass catching back, uh, Yeldon, yeah, Yeldon, yeah, Grant and then. Saw. Like you've got you've got Leonard Fournette going twenty five yards down the field on like an edge to try and catch a pass which he's never going to get to but Yeldon might do. Nobody but then, it. But then because he's fucking wrecked, they take him off, and then all of a sudden you've got Yeldon in to do the fucking pass blocking for the next thing, and he gets destroyed. Like they've just everything that was crisp and good and just perfectly planned from Jacksonville just fell off in the second half entirely. Well, I think. Yeah. Part of that is, again, comes back to what Ronan said about what they were doing within Blake Bortles' limitations, which they did very well in the first half, was the short crossers, um, handoffs. And when New England basically focused on shutting down the running game, Jacksonville didn't adjust their offensive play, which mm-hmm. led to all these weird situations where they were desperate at the end or fucking up their substitutions. But a lot of it was, what they were doing is they were successfully engineering second and short, third and short for Bortles in the first half. And that turned into second and long, third and long, and that was where problems developed because mm-hmm. he couldn't convert them because Fournette or Yeldon was getting stuffed early. Yeah. It was just, it just wasn't, and I mean, look, Doug Moran is a good coach, 
the Jags have shown that they're they're shown growth as an organization on the coaching side, certainly. But this game, I think, to me, demonstrated that they're not there yet. It's not just Bortles that's the problem. Although certainly it would have been easier with a better quarterback. But there were mistakes made on both sides of the ball in the play calling, in the scheme mm-hmm. design, in the adjustments. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, to a certain extent, you wonder how much of that's just the New England fear factor. You mm. know, when you're playing New England, an obviously unprecedented dynasty uh, in, in the salary cap era, perhaps you just overthink things. You start thinking, getting in your own way, and that's how I kind of felt they did. They just kind of regressed into their shell and didn't play to their strengths. And that ended up costing them in the end. Because I think if you if you're confident in what your style of football is, you should stick with it uh, until you're way until you're actually guaranteed the win. A ten point lead against New England is nothing. We know that, and I think they should have known that as well. And I think that that before second half incident, while it perhaps on paper doesn't seem as important, just seems so symbolic of a team that when it was ten points up, suddenly was like. Okay, yeah. we have to hold on to this rather than let's let's score more points, let's get more sacks, let's get more turnovers, which would have should is the Saxonville way. The other thing that they completely miscalculated was how much to pay the refs going into this game <laughs> because. Uh... <laughs> Because well, <laughs> if you uh, if, if you read any of the coverage online, there's a lot of discussion of Cheatriots, uh, the fact that they had no penalties on offense or defense, one on a kickoff, etc. I will say to anyone who wants to try and hold that belief, yeah, look, they, it, there was probably some calls that could have gone against them as well that didn't, but there was also equally calls that didn't go against Jacksonville. And if they really wanted to screw them, they wouldn't have allowed that to be a turnover when it was a ball cut off the hip and fumbled out and whatever you want to look at it. I think they made the right call on that, but clearly if the reps were being paid off they would have actually overturned that and left it as a Patriots ball instead yeah like what I don't understand is these people who say oh the NFL is rigged and then keep fucking watching it yeah like, I look come on people know WWF is, or WWE and that's different like you know it's the knowledge of you know yeah. what I mean like, yeah it's true it's, true. it's, it's everyone's bought in yeah. I will say this though like on the one thing is I'm watching that game um, uh, is there a couple of controversies but like there was a, I mean, they're right, quite right the New England should have been penalised for holding so should Jackson but there was mm. one holding penalty called all game on the offensive line and there was a shitload of holding in the game yeah. even by the normal standards but like a lot of it is just it's happening every every round of the playoffs every year every, they find a call against New England which in this case would be so for example the Brandon Cooks pass interference which was the correct call or um, uh, uh, was it Miles Jack being down, down when he recovered the fumble which was an incorrect call but happens all the time with fumble recoveries. On to the next game, Minnesota at Philadelphia. This was a significantly more one-sided affair, 7-38. Uh, Nick Foles had a hell of a game. Uh, Philadelphia overall just had a hell of a game. Good defense, good offense, good special teams. Minnesota looked great in their first drive, and then just nothing happened beyond that. I don't know whether this is just a like loss of energy after the big game and the tough game, the the... the the what, what's the term for it again? The uh, miracle in Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis miracle, yeah. Yeah, Minneapolis miracle. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just not good. This this defense, which is meant to be what they based themselves off entirely, just had no response for what Philadelphia came out and did. Now, to be fair to them, there was lots of bits that you weren't expecting, lots of outside throws that weren't necessarily what Foles has done for the last three or four weeks. But he had a he had a hell of a game. Uh, so I suppose the first question is going to be. Philadelphia, big massive win here, but historically, teams who have a big blowout win tend to not do well in the following rounds. This has just kind of been shown over basically tons of armchair statisticians have been uh, doing this for the last week or so. Do we think they shot their load too early, or was this just a nice warm-up for them to try and go down and and, uh, take on the dynasty that is uh, Tom and Bill? 
no, it's bullshit, basically. <laughs> now, you could argue this was a once-off simply because Nick Foles has not played like this since Chip Kelly was a relevant head coach in the NFL. Um, so you could say there's a bit of a gap there between this game and, that, uh, and those games. So I think, yeah, it would be difficult to imagine that New England would have the kind of scheming failures that would leave someone free, you know, 50 yards downfield for an easy touchdown. They seem like a better coach defense, at least if it's the second half that should happen. But I think for, for Philadelphia, they got the momentum going and they had the home advantage. And obviously we know that Minnesota are now a, a dome team and there's, we know all the statistics about dome teams not doing well and outside stadiums these days. Uh, but I think overall, like if I was to talk about why Philadelphia won this game, it's because in the first half, Jimmy Schwartz's defense had a couple of clutch plays which completely turned the momentum of this game around. Obviously, Minnesota have that great, uh, have that great, uh, like, have that great drive to score a touchdown on, on the first drive. Then Philadelphia get the ball, do nothing. Then it's back to Minnesota, and then they give a pick six, uh, an interception pick six to Philadelphia. That's a huge swing. And then towards the end of the half, when Minnesota looked like they were driving down and were about to close the gap again, there is a great uh, strip sack of Case Keenum, and that flips the game again. So I think that once they got the points from both of those turnovers, both directly and and a drive after, it kind of felt that Minnesota, when they were put behind, when the game was pressured, that Case Keenum had to score lots of points, it kind of felt that they fell apart. Albeit, I would say that on the defensive side for Minnesota, there were some issues with, with injuries. Sandejo didn't look fit. Xavier Rhodes had some issues. So maybe that had an influence. But I think Jim Schwartz should take a lot of the credit for this uh, for this victory, to be, in my opinion. Well, that was what I was going to say to you. Like, do you think, because uh, we you were discussing the scheme changing that uh, Jacksonville kind of had to do and that stuff. Like, was this just injuries and them not having the men? Because obviously this, this was known to be a high-end playing defence but it doesn't necessarily have depth they don't get that much rotation of players in and stuff like was it injuries or was it just being out schemed now I will say before we go into any of this that once again the Garrett Blunt was playing in this game so you guess what condition I want this game like I think one of the things with, with when you're comparing the defences although Minnesota like from what we've seen throughout the season are the better defence or should be the better defence what really shone through for Philly and I think became clear here is um, the question of, of, of depth, right? And when you look at how long Minnesota's defense stayed on the field, they just looked worn. They got worn down pretty quickly, to be honest with you. Whereas Philly have this, particularly the front seven, has this amazing rotation on the line that they can just keep going. Like Fletcher Cox is probably the best player. And he's played like fifty, like fifty percent of snaps this season. Mm. Something like so they just have this ability to, to do that. And Minnesota looked, and I think this is where Ronan mentions the injuries that the depth wasn't there that when like and yeah Xavier Rhodes looked completely out of sorts he's been an absolute shutdown corner and he was struggling all game it just seemed like the, the wheels came off I think we saw it last season with the Vikings as well they got a certain point into the season admittedly a much shorter one and then everything mm-hmm. went to shit like uh, I, I, so I, I'm wondering if there's an element of that if it's just some side like that they need to work on building rotation getting rotational players they need to work on the depth rather than just saying we can coast by on the superior talent of the defense where the other team doesn't have the ball for 35 minutes but when they do have the ball for 35 minutes what are we going to do about this what can we do about this and like, in fairness yeah okay they had a couple of they had like three turnovers in this game two interceptions mm-hmm. and a fumble that again that doesn't help that doesn't put your defense in a good position 
your offense can't move the ball. Obviously, the, there was a critical uh, failure to convert the uh, fourth down pass to Adam Thielen at one point. Like a lot of things went wrong for Minnesota. It's very hard to point to one element of it, and it's very hard to criticize this defense. I said how I feel about them, but I think that when you're comparing what happened on the day, that that was a very significant factor. Mm-hmm. Is the inability to stay fresh, the inability to when you have to stay on the field for longer than you want to, because this defense is so good and has been so good all season at getting off the field. Mm-hmm. And it just turned out that when it came down to it, they, they just did not have the capacity to, to do that. No, of course. And they thought Philadelphia found the weakness, and that was just keeping them there until they gassed. Well, that's it. And like obviously, we'll be doing an in-depth kind of uh, podcast next week on the New England and the Philadelphia teams and how they match up and stuff. But uh, just one last note on Minnesota. So the question now is obviously going to be, after what was probably a much more down-to-earth game from Case Keenum, like they have a decision to make. They've got them. They've got him. They've got Teddy Bridgewater. And they've got Sam Bradford sitting on their roster. All of them are free agents next year. I'm just going to say, if you are, you going to keep one, keep two, keep three, or keep none of these guys? And if you are, which ones are you going to keep? So Ronan. Yeah, I think that like I would probably keep Case Keenum and draft someone. I think in terms of what might happen, I think they like Bradford a little bit more than perhaps. People might expect. I think Teddy Bridgewater is gone. I think Case Keenum will be the interesting one. Depends how much money he looks for. I'm sure he's lost a few shackles due to this performance. But you know, we were talking last week about something around 20, 20 million. Yeah. If he's going for 15 million, I think they might keep him. But I think it'll be a lot more interesting now uh, than it was a week ago to see what happens here. Yeah. So Bradford more likely than that than, than you might think, but probably Case is the one favorite yeah. still to be there. Now, I'm not saying this is what Minnesota will do, but if I were in Minnesota's position, I would say, nope, fuck it, and I would go and get Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I think you have a defense that can compete. I think, I think like, Teddy Bridgewater, we don't know, like, I, I liked him, but he was limited, and we, we don't know. We don't mm-hmm. know what state he's in right now. Um, Bradford, I, look, you know my opinions on Sam Bradford, he's fine. I was never a huge fan of Bradford. And yeah. Keenum is, like, a more reliable, but less... Uh, talented Bradford yeah uh, I think in that situation I think like none of these guys are going to win you a Super Bowl let's be honest we know what the problem is on the defense now cool let's go out and fix that and let's get us a, qu- a quarterback who if this happens again can keep us in a shootout can win us the game and I think you mm-hmm. look at a, a guy like Kirk Cousins and you're like oh it might not necessarily be Cousins but it's the example but they yeah, a quarterback yeah. they really like in free agency and like we'll take him we'll draft a prospect for the future we'll sign this guy to a whatever deal Mm-hmm. Uh, we can pick a guy in the mid, like pick a developmental guy in the mid rounds, see what happens. But let's go all out because this team right now is in a position to go on a run next year. Like as long as they keep the core of that defense together, yeah. Let's match it with a quarterback that we know can get it done. Because look, none of the other three guys. I don't think Sam Bradford would necessarily might have done a bit better. I don't think he would have won this game. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater would have won this game. Yeah, I think I'm close to yourself on this. I think uh, I think Case Keenum's going to look for too much money because I think given the season that he had, he's going to get paid. Like if if Certain quarterbacks are going to get paid 15, 16 million to be backups in Chicago. I think he can definitely get paid 20, 25 million. <laughs> to be a backup in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think it'll cost too much for what they want, especially if they want to go look in free agency. I think the Bradford, equally, there's too much of a risk of injury to have him uh, as just a pure backup, and he'll also be looking for too much money for it. I think the only one that they might keep out of this is Teddy Bridgewater because he's in the building, because they understand what his injury looks like, and they'll have a better idea of that. And due to the injury concerns, I don't think he is anywhere near the 
market that the other two would have if they hit out in the free agency. So I think they'll be able to get him on a cheap deal, keep him, draft someone, pick someone up in the third round or something, if, if, if there's someone worth picking up there. But I think it is a, it is probably a swing for the fences, get your two-year window rolling now at this point. And uh, fair dues to the Philly fans, they are not defeated by Crisco or any other form of industrial grease. They are able to climb all of the poles that they want and hang from them with joy. Or common decency, apparently, is not an issue. You see the, the, the hashtag fuck Millie? No. Do so you remember the 100-year-old or 99-year-old Vikings fan? Oh, right. Philly. Philly. Well, not obviously unfair to tar all Philly fans with the same brush, but fuck it, let's do it. Mm. Um, yeah, they were all like holding up signs like hashtag fuck Millie and tweeting yeah. out hate, being like, I hope you fucking die, you old bitch. Wow. Like, yeah. Fucking mental. And of course, there's the yeah. usual pelting of batteries and beer cans at Vikings fans as they tried to come into the stadium. Just... Like, there were no laws in Philly. Like, the thing they said, we didn't arrest anyone at the game. You're like, you just suspended the law and had the purge for yeah. a night. Like, that, to be fair, like, like, a lot of social media videos came out of all the various abuses that Philly fans did. But the nice Philly fans have started donating money to Mike hmm. Zimmer's charity to apologize for that. Continuing the cycle of weird charity giving yeah. the NFL and and to give you the to, to give you the opposite end of that uh, not just the cycle of charity giving but the uh, giving shit as good as you get have you seen the online plan that's been devised by a load of the Vikings fan clubs oh. where they are all signing up as Uber drivers so they can pick up Eagles fans who come down to the Super Bowl and drive them to the wrong stadium and dump them out in the middle of nowhere so they have to miss the game I like the idea <laughs> of them all being like driven to fucking Cleveland <laughs> oh god it's just ah. Uh, it's just, just, just cop on tears. Cop on tears. We just grow up. Jeez. There's a bit of that now, sure, isn't it? Right, look, we'll swing on to a couple of questions from the listeners. So we have the first question comes in from Emmett Ryan, and he says, I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl, and I quite like chicken wings. I had chicken wings last year, and I'm going to do the same this year and have two trays of chicken wings. Should I, one, put the same sauce on both trays or have different sauces on the trays? And if so, what sauces should I use? Um, but we're also going to have a load of chicken wings for our one. Uh, so far, I found I enjoy I, hot sauce. I like uh, taking hot sauce, turning it into buffalo sauce. Cause it's nice. Make it with hot sauce. Don't do the ones that are pre-mixed because you want a nice bit of fresh butter Absolutely. in there. Um, and outside of that, I think what you do is you maybe do some that are plain and you have a nice mixture of dipping sauces so then you can get different flavors that way. Because a lot of times you don't want to have an entire batch of like 20 done in barbecue or something if there's going to be preference for spicy or, or so on. So I think... Pick two and then maybe do a batch of plain with a load of dipping sauce. I'm, I'm a terrible person. I actually don't particularly like chicken wings. Um, not my favourite part of the chicken by any stretch of the imagination. But I do like the sauces. And my advice would be slightly similar but a little towards the other spectrum. I do one kind of like mild buffalo mm-hmm. that people can't really complain about and then do a hot one. Mm. Uh, and then yes, somebody have like blue cheese dip or whatever for people to put it into. I think you have to serve them on different trays. Yeah, because yeah. people get pissy about um, people oh, get you confused take the wrong thing, well, and then they're yeah. like, "Oh, it's so spicy! I don't like it." Uh, but I, so, but I think you have to you keep them separate, and you let you don't bring them out in any particular order. If you can do them both at the same time, even better. Give people a choice. Mm. Give them their dippings. So have a bit of blue cheese, a bit of mayo, a bit of ketchup, whatever people want, and just do it that way. Have one hot, one sort of like mild buffalo. 
perfect. Everyone's happy. Now, I'd be interested in Fitz's input to this one because Fitz is the inventor of the legendary waffle burger, which is uh, <laughs> you take two potato waffles and you cook them up, and they are your bread. You take uh, two frozen, low quality uh, quarter pounders and you cook them up. You take a couple of uh, frozen sausages and you cook those up. And then what you do is now, correct me if I get this wrong. So you layer them. You go, um, you go waffle. The cheapest slice of cheese you can find, uh, quarter pounder, cheese, sliced in half sausages, cheese, cheapest quarter pounder you can find, uh, slice of the cheapest cheese you can find, and then another waffle on the bottom. And then the idea is that you eat that and then that will sustain you for three or four days. Yeah, like it's so indigestible, it just sits there, kind of slowly giving (laughs) nutrition in inverted commas. Uh, as, you, as you might have guessed, we, we, we lived together in college for a while. Yeah. Jeez, a, you know, your body needs to think it's still digesting something, but really it's just, <laughs> you know, turning one type of fat into another type of fat. Uh, uh, so any, any but, input on the sauces? Uh, I have no sauce. input. Perhaps just do a lovely uh, Sunday roast instead. Uh, <laughs> Fuck me, he is from Canada, is he? Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Sunday roast. The, uh, actually, Emmett sent on a, a follow-up question to this one as well, which was... Uh, do we think the Eagles actually stand a chance? Now, we'll be talking about this in a lot more depth next week because we're going to do a proper big preview show. But uh, I'm going to say, yeah, I think there's a chance. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I think there's a better I mean, chance with this matchup than there was given how the Vikings played. Yeah, given what we now know, yes. Although I would have said previous to that match that I would have preferred the Eagles and the Vikings. But mm-hmm. after seeing that, and not just because the Eagles, after seeing the Vikings' weakness, I'm like, oh yeah, the Eagles might actually have been the best team in the NFC all along. Ugh. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. Eagles definitely have a chance. What about yourself? Nick Foles definitely has a derpy enough face that he can beat. <laughs> this is your stance uh, on a lot of these der- derpiness of face. <laughs> well, considering that no other metric seems to beat the Patriots, we're just going to go with derp face. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, this is reasonable. And we have another question came in from uh, Kian. Oh, and oh, says, uh, what, what are your feelings on dishes slash plates slash saucers? The Super Bowl should be renamed to differentiate it from the Pro Bowl. Maybe the Super Dish or the Pro Dish and keep the Super Bowl as the Super Bowl has better brand recognition. So I suppose it is interesting. Is he having a stroke? No, this makes perfect sense to me, right? So are you having a stroke? <laughs> so obviously, not right now, there's people in the room. Um... <laughs> There's a there there is a thing that these are all called bowls and I suppose you probably want different types of like when you look at a when you look at a, a trophy cabinet it's not just all cups you have cups you have bowls you have plaques you have shields you have all these kind of things you have a greater variety of them you don't need to name them all the time my suggestion is the excellent ramekin I'm just pissed off he's ripping ripping off a Neil deGrasse Tyson joke I made on Twitter last week so yeah. yeah. Oh, he stole this question from you. Stealing. He, he, it's, 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 it's a variation on a theme. You see the Neil deGrasse Tyson jokes, you say something, and then Neil deGrasse Tyson incredibly anally correcting you. Oh, okay. Like, Man, I'm pumped for the Super Bowl, and it's like Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> That's just absurd. It's an oblate steroid. Oh, it's God. like, yeah, oh, that kind of thing. So. Wow. Well, look, when, when Tom Brady is winning the Super Bowl when he's like 90 years old, we can make it into the Super Bedpan instead. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Well, look, my attitude towards the Lombardi Trophy is like my attitude to everything, which is anything's a dildo if you're brave enough. That's true. Did but speaking of which, did you see the uh, not exactly that time, but uh, did you see the uh, did you see the video of uh, Bill Belichick whenever he received the uh, Lamar Hunt Trophy? I think we've seen that video about 
uh, well every year because yeah. fuck it it's just, he, he just does not say so he literally he just handed just looks at it in disgust and then just passes it away to someone else Here's staff just put on the so much the disregard it's phenomenal shameful shameful silver yeah <laughs> but it's uh, should be should be interesting uh, and also so um, final question comes in it says uh, which do you prefer more of the Pro Bowl jerseys the AFC or the NFC both are shit ugly but the AFC is slightly less shit ugly uh, the fading on the numbers in particular is quite uh, quite disgusting looking I looked at both and I'm now legally blind so I can no longer comment. <laughs> They're both shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, so what we're saying is definitely go and pick one up for I think it's like $160 for one in the shop. Like, so oh god, it's horrible. Uh, I suppose that question brings us nicely on to our uh, preview for the week. Let's move on to Pro Bowl Hype. So, this week brings us, uh, there are two interesting games of football. There is the uh, Pro Bowl that's coming up, the greatest game of football of every year. And then there's also the Senior Bowl happening, which is, no one cares about that, because those are players who aren't even eligible for the Pro Bowl, so they must be shit. Uh, We've got NFC at AFC. Now, this is interesting. Uh, In a big decision, the AFC have decided to remain the same group of uh, 16 teams, and the NFC have decided to follow suit. So, they are still picking from the same groups as beforehand. Historically, very interesting. They always seem to draft from the same teams whenever they're in this kind of combination. Uh, who do we think is going to win, I suppose, and then we'll give our rationalizations? Uh, <laughs> NFC here. Okay, you're going for I'm, I'm taking the NFC, but I'm going through this just trying to work out who's actually fucking going and who isn't. <laughs> yeah. I'm going for the AFC because the NFC has a lot of good defenses, and defenses might win championships, but they do not win Pro Bowls. Uh, this is going to be an interesting game, uh, and we will be bringing you the results of all of the skill competitions as well, which would be excellent. T.Y. Hilton's back for the dodgeball, so... Oh, excellent. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know, like, I, I just think it's going to be great. We're going to have all these fantastic highlight reel catches of all these people playing. And there is a nice element to it as well of all of the players who are going to now become uh, free agents or get traded might get to play with some of their future teammates, <laughs> which is nice. Uh, it's also, I wonder if there is any element, now I know it's not, uh, it's not played the same way as the normal game is, but I wonder if there are, like, teams who will send scouts out to have a look at potential free agents and stuff like that just to see how they interact with people even though it's it's different like we they send scouts and GMs down to watch like 21 year olds run around their underpants in Indianapolis I'd imagine this might catch them I think if you're in the Pro Bowl people might have an idea about where you're at already yeah but you could also be tied into a system. They might be interested to see what Tennessee players look like outside of exotic Smash Mouth. <laughs> I mean, who's going to run the fucking Pro Bowl offense? Where, where are they hosting it this year? Uh, it's in Florida, I think, this year, isn't it? Okay. So it's, see, when it was yeah, Orlando, Hawaii, yeah. I'm sure all the scouts were like, oh, we definitely yeah. go to the Pro Bowl. Got to check out all those players in Hawaii. It'd be but, a this, great time. but this is Orlando. Like, It's like everyone is the Super Bowl MVP. They all get to go to Disneyland. Well, I think in Orlando it would probably be more appropriate to have the senior bowl, but... Yeah, yeah, that's true. This is Harry's favourite episode. Harry loves the Pro Bowl. Uh, Actually, his favourite part is whenever we decide to in-depth go through everything that happened in the Pro Bowl next week. Yeah, I'm just going to... Yeah. The reason I'm picking the NFC is because it's full of more tryhards, basically. (laughs) Like, it's got Russell Wilson. He's a complete tryhard. Todd Gurley, probably a bit of a tryhard. Doug Baldwin always has a chip on his shoulder. Michael Thomas probably has a chip on his shoulder now. And After that block. 
Well, hey. Where, you know, like, <laughs> the, best, the best AFC quarterback is like Ben Roethlisberger. Does Red Ball give a shit? Probably not. You like throw a pick and then be like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think I, Fitz, Fitz is right in that the NFC are the kind of bunch of nerds to actually try and win the Pro Bowl. Who's uh, who, who, who's coaching this year, actually? it's uh, uh, Oh, good question. I think it's Tomlin coaching the AFC, but oh, I'm not oh. certain. Oh, he's going to take it way too seriously. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not the good way, you know? Like, he'll get frustrated at players and be like, why aren't you doing things? Like, it's the Pro Bowl. It's it, yeah, exciting. well, yes, it is Tomlin. We're too excited. We're no. too excited to hold on, hold on. Hang on, hang on, It's Tomlin, but you know who's going to be on the other sideline? Sean Payton. Oh, God. Yeah, this it's going to be a lot of trying. This, this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is gonna, you know, there's actually a serious chance that that combination of an actual game of football might break out at yeah, some point. It'll be phenomenal. Like, uh, like, just looking at something, like, could you imagine if you were able to actually put together teams that look like this? It's kind of like, the, you know, that all that all defensive team. Like, just the running backs for the AFC are Le'Veon Bell, Kareem Hunt, and Deshaun McCoy. Like, just just play rugby with those three people. Just have them constantly, like, laddering to each other. They'll be flying. Oh, we tried that against the Jags. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, no, it should be good fun. And then, obviously, we'll have all of our... Uh, all of our Excellent uh, little touches of skill competitions. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk making it in his fullback. Now he's going to be the difference maker there, I think. Oh, uh, I don't know. The uh, AFC of James Devlin. Mm. <laughs> I didn't even need to look. I knew James Devlin was in the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Fuck you. Why? Because he's the only fullback in the AFC that anyone's fucking heard of. <laughs> oh, we got to do Roosevelt Knicks. Have no. you heard of Roosevelt Knicks? Do you even know what team he plays for? Yes, yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, like. I didn't know that. That just sounds, that sounds like a, someone like running through all the American presidents and just like be cut short. Yeah. <laughs> Roosevelt Knicks. Yeah, well, I mean, that's probably why he's going. got a funny name. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, like, Connor, you know who your fullback is. I know who your fullback yeah. is. How many people in America know who Sherman is? Like, let's be honest. Mm, I don't know. He's a tank, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. This oh is truly the pro bowl of podcasts. I know. It's the best one we've done so far. Uh but yeah, the the only thing that I'm finding annoying with the Pro Bowl is that like uh, NFL on my Facebook feed and I constantly having like the autoplay videos of like, mm. oh my god, watch as Philip Rivers puts on a like a show at the skill throwing competition. He's just so accurate. And then the next one is the exact same thing with insert quarterback name here. This is clearly a bot. Uh, of watch Roethlisberger show how accurate he is. Oh <laughs> Where is he? I don't know, I didn't check the bathroom. <laughs> But uh, no, no, so it should be, should be a good crack. Uh, so we'll be watching a bit of that and uh, reporting back to you, letting you know all of the important updates from it. But uh, I suppose any other plans for the rest of the week, lads? Any scandal? Yeah, I'm having uh, Tark and Tar, two good friends are going to be dropping over, and we're going to be having a gin night on Friday. Oh, very nice. Because we have acquired several bottles of very nice gin, and uh, so we're going to go and get trashed and play board games. <laughs> class. Solid. Got some Tanqueray 10, got some uh, Short Cross... Got some strawberry black water. Um, yeah, I know it's very like poncy to be into gin, but like mm. I kinda like gin like. Yeah, no, gin's lovely. What about yourself? It's any plans for this weekend? Other than obviously whole day and a half Pro Bowl. Uh, yeah, it's like all that Pro Bowl prep will take up most of the weekend. Nothing too exciting except for one new purchase. I'll be replacing my current set of glasses with a new set of glasses. What? Ooh. I was hoping you'd be replacing them with something more interesting. Podcast listeners. That could make all the difference. Yeah. <laughs> 
they might finally see how shit it's going. Uh, what about, let's see, what's our next one? Uh, I've got nothing mad planned. I've got the folks are coming up. So the, the my folks have never met my fiancé's folks. So we, oh. said, we should probably get around to doing that before the wedding. Ah, so okay. we're going to go out for dinner with them and have a bit of crack. Uh, I don't think there's much else really planned for it. Uh, just study and back into the study again. So fun times for that. Uh, oh sorry we forgot one other question came in and it was it's a different question for us in different scenarios so the question for Harry is name one thing that you care less about than the Pro Bowl and for myself and Ronan it's think of one thing you care more about than the Pro Bowl one thing I care less about than the Pro Bowl Mm. Oh, that's true. Oh, the NBA All Star Games. So I can watch the NBA. That's one thing I care about less than the Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl is from sports I don't enjoy. There is literally one thing that I care more about than the Pro Bowl, and that is how much Harry hates us talking about the Pro Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, for me, it's Pro Bowl related puns mostly. It would be the only thing I care about more than the actual Pro Bowl itself. Mm. Yeah, quite possibly Pro Bowl, like. Yeah, I suppose. Like I suppose the thing is, the Pro Bowl only happens once a year. But my anticipation of the Pro Bowl lasts the other three hundred and sixty something days each year. Oh, is that what you call your erection these days? Yeah, <laughs> it's the Pro Bowl of erection. <laughs> <laughs> it's vibrantly coloured, and no one cares for it. <laughs> uh, I've got one really big ardent fan, apparently. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> So that's uh, that's probably that's probably wrap up this week. Ray doesn't listen to this, does she? Uh, no, oh, no, thank no. <laughs> she doesn't really watch American football. Don't she listens to us shite on about it for an hour every week. Oh, she might be very dedicated, like yeah. yeah. Um, but no, so, so as always, firing your questions on Facebook, WhatsApp, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, like uh, so bye from myself, bye from Harry, bye, bye from Ronan. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Pro Bowl hype, and we'll catch you next week. Pro Bowl hype. Bye.